So we go back this evening to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. As we consider tonight not the subject of our prayers or the reason for our prayer, but the how of Paul has laid out for Timothy how it is that he is to go back to Ephesus and carry on the good warfare. There are those in Ephesus who are causing disturbances. They are causing theological debates. They are leading the people in error. And Paul says to Timothy, you need to go back to Ephesus. And you need to deal with these individuals. The question then becomes, well, how am I supposed to deal with them? What is it you would have me do, Paul? How would you ask me to carry out this good warfare? Paul answers, Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, first of all, Timothy, you need to be praying. You need to be praying for their repentance. You need to be praying that they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be praying. In fact, Timothy, you need to be praying that way, not just for those men who are causing problems there in Ephesus. You need to be praying that way for kings and leaders. You need to be praying that way for all those who are in authority. You need to be praying that way, Timothy. You need to be praying that way because there is but one God. Even though you see before you this display of Roman mythology and all these gods and all these temples and how powerful this all looks and what an influence it has upon the society. Timothy, you need to be praying. Because there is but one God. And there is but one mediator. The man... Christ Jesus. And you need to be praying that they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's a strange warfare. It's not a warfare that oftentimes the church has taken upon itself faithfully to do. Oftentimes the church decides to get into the trenches of warfare just like the opposition does. And yet that's not what we're called to do. First of all, first of all, which means there's probably more coming, but first of all, we need to be people who pray. Because as I have mentioned to you oftentimes, you're never going to legislate sin out of an individual never going to happen. We're not finny, for those of you in adult Sunday school class. We're not finny, who thinks all we need is the right rules, right laws, and if, if we just follow the right rules and right laws, that will bring about, you see, our conversion. It's not going to happen. 
where we can never bring about our own conversion. I can never bring about the conversion of another individual. You can't convert another individual. There is only one. There is only one. Acting sovereignly. Acting alone. Through the work of the Holy Spirit who can penetrate dark hearts. Who can penetrate unbelieving hearts. Who can penetrate wayward hearts. And that is the Lord God. Pray, Timothy. So we pick it up then at verse 8. And I'll read 8 through 15. I'm not going to leave out 9 through 15. And, and I'm, ju- I'm just going to say this. Okay? Every woman in this room knows this. You can multitask. So if you wonder why you get so many verses, the Lord knows who he has made. To men there is but one thing. Just one. Get it right, men. You got one task, get it right. And do it correctly. Women, there's a lot of things here for you to deal with. But that in a course of time. And I don't want to just gloss over verse 8 to get to the rest of it. But once again, as we come to God's word, as we read this portion, this too is the breathed out word of God. Not just the last part. Not just the part about in verse 12 of not permitting a woman to teach. It's the whole of the paragraph that you and I need to examine and look at. So let's hear God's word. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adore them, adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's bow before the Lord and ask for his spirit to lead us and guide us tonight. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we have this opportunity to come to you in prayer. Lord, sometimes we don't take that opportunity. We don't understand the power of prayer. We don't understand the great privilege of prayer that we can come to you and the importance of prayer. That is our source of strength. Lord, I pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob tonight and give him your words to speak. Help us to see your message for each of us tonight that we will go from here enthused and ready to meet with you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First of all, by simply noting, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. 
He doesn't mean mankind. He doesn't mean humankind. He had a word he could have chosen to use. He does not do that. He means men as in males. Men should pray. Now he's going to have instructions for women. And he means women, not humankind. He is giving separate instructions to men, males, and to women, females. Why? Because the Bible makes distinctions. We live in a society in which distinctions are glossed over. Especially in our day and age, these distinctions. I know I'm preaching to the choir. But we need to understand this to get at what's going on here in 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. If you think about distinctions, think about how those distinctions were made by God in creation. In Genesis 1. Seed according to its kind. Creeping things or swarming things according to their kinds. Fish and birds according to their kinds. Animals according to their kinds. God is not saying everything's lumped in and everything is exactly the same. No, in fact, God is is making categories. Saying there's a category here and they're going to reproduce according to their kind. Here's another category here, and they're going to reproduce according to their kinds, and their kinds, and their kinds, and their kinds. But it especially comes true in terms of humanity. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 1, because Paul's going to take us back to the early part of Genesis as we get to the other items here as well. But go back with me to Genesis chapter 1, starting to read at verse 26. With the creation of humanity. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made a distinction. He made males and he made females. Now, okay, lo and behold, wow. But the day and age in which we live... Genesis 1.27 is swept away. Genesis 1.27 has become, oh no, 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 no. People have no gender. People get to choose their gender. People can assume a gender. People can invent a gender. God says, no. No. I create, and I created males, and I created females under the heading of humankind, under the heading of mankind, under the heading of humanity. Within the realm of humanity, I make this distinction. 
And because God is the creator who has made men and women, males and females, separately, uniquely, God comes and says, I give to men and to women different responsibilities. Oh, not everything is a different responsibility. The cultural mandate isn't. Okay? Look at verse 28. And God blessed them. Who's the them? Who's the them? God blessed them. And God said to them. Who's the them? Did did God say to a male human, Adam, and to, well, who's the other them? Oh, maybe it's a male ape. Uh, Maybe it's a male fish. You go, no, Pastor Bob, it's rather obvious. The them is male and female. God said to them, well, what responsibility does God give to the male? What responsibility does God give to the female? Read, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. That which we refer to as the cultural mandate. Was given to them. Males and females. So sometimes God says this responsibility I give to you. Males and females. Same responsibility. But sometimes God steps back and he says, no, there are times when I'm going to give certain responsibilities to the males that I have created. And sometimes I'm going to give certain responsibilities to the females that I have created. Would you like one example? It's called bringing people into the world. He didn't give men the same responsibility that he gave to women. There he gives to the woman one part of that responsibility and he gives to the man another part of that responsibility. God doesn't say, hey, because you have different responsibilities, that means you're not equal. Because I give to you different responsibility, different task, it means, well, I think less of women than I do of men. No, because of Genesis chapter 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and females, he created them. Equal as image bearers of God. But equality doesn't mean sameness. Equality does not mean we are the same persons. That's why when you come to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, God, through the Apostle Paul, is making a distinction. A distinction in terms of responsibilities that fall upon men. This is a command to men. This is a command to people of the male gender. This is a command to those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and are male. 
Do you get it? I need to push it or you, you got it? I'll assume you clicked it. What is that responsibility? Well, first, before we look at the command, I want you to notice the commander. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I desire. Who's the I? The Apostle Paul. He's a what? He's an apostle. An apostle is somebody who has been given authority, directed authority, directed authority by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is a man who has authority. Paul mentions it, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Go down to verse 7 of chapter 2. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. The one who is speaking, the I desire is one who is an apostle. This is, this is not just some guy. This is not just some man speaking. This is not even just some preacher off a pulpit. This is one who by the command of God and of Christ Jesus has been given an authority within the church as an apostle. But it's really not just Paul, is it? Because Paul is not just sitting back, well, you know, how can I make life really difficult for people in the church? How can I really ignite a war between men and women? How can I really write something here that, oh, I don't know, in about 2022, people are going to be, I don't like that. And so I'm going to, it's not Paul, right? Paul is writing only by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, directed by our Lord and King, directed by Jesus Christ himself. That's who this comes from. And you say, well, he just says, I desire. That's kind of weak, isn't it? No, the word, the Greek word here for desire means an authoritative command. He is speaking as an apostle. He is speaking in the voice of Christ. He is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I command with authority that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger. Or quarreling. This is the one who is bringing it. Oh, in our modern day, okay, a passage such as this is just pushed off the table. Why? Because they do not believe or accept inspiration. They, they don't accept that view. And so if the Bible isn't inspired, yeah, then I guess it's just some guy named Paul writing this. Nor does our day and age like authority. Especially God-instituted authority. Especially God-directed authority. Our day and age wants to throw that off. So for two reasons. Ah, we don't have to pay any attention to what's written here in 8 through 15. It's all cultural. 
It's all just for that time. It has nothing to do with us. These guys, this is just very paternalistic. This is just, this is unfair. This is not about what it ought to be. Throw it away. That's not how we see this truth, is it? This is a truth that comes from the one who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ, through his appointed means, an apostle, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what is the commandment? The commandment is that men should pray. That men should pray. Men should pray. He's not saying women can't pray. He's not saying women shouldn't pray. But he is saying men should pray. The should is a must. Men are to be people of prayer. Paul is addressing within this paragraph of 8 through 15. He is addressing the subject of public worship. He is saying, when the church gathers to worship, men should pray. When the congregation gathers under the authority of the elders of the church who call them into worship, men should pray. It should be the men who are lifting up their voices to pray. And it sounds simple. That sounds very straightforward. Sounds like, okay, what's the big deal? Doesn't happen. In most places, this, this, this is an absurdity. Because in many places, they'd look around and say, well, how are we going to have a worship service here? There aren't even any men in our church. Secondly, there aren't any men who are going to pray. There are men who are going to make all sorts of excuses, but there aren't men who are going to pray. Now, I'm I'm going to tell you something, folks. I I want you to, to bear with me here through this passage. We have to understand that verse 8 comes with just as much authority as verse 12. There is nowhere in this passage where we would be allowed to say, well, verse 12 is authoritative, but verse 8, well, that's kind of a come and go. You know, we don't have to pay much attention to that one. No. It is all under I desire. It is all under that command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want men to pray. I want men to be prayer warriors. It's like you don't send a woman to a battlefield. Old Testament rule. Who do you send to the good warfare? Who do you send to be the prayer Person, men. 
Sadly, how few of us as men, not how few of us as humanity, but how few of us as men pray. See, we'd rather, we'd rather get into it. We'd rather start the frenzy. We'd rather take the gloves off and start punching. We'd rather go down back to Ephesus, take off the gloves and say, where are those scoundrels, those guys? Let's have a public debate. Let's go at this. Okay? And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to knock your teeth out. That's the way men would like to do it. But Paul says, through the Lord Jesus Christ, no, that isn't the way you do it. You do it by being a prayer warrior. You do it by praying. Well, that's, I don't know, that's not going to work. Really? Really? You're going to take a command of God, who is the all-wise, all-knowing God, and say, his plan won't work. Maybe it's because we haven't read the rest of the verse. Because the command is not just that men pray. It's that men should lift up holy hands when they pray. Now we're going to upset the Dutch apple cart. Pastor, have you gone Pentecostal? No. It's biblical. And we don't do it for show. We shouldn't do it for show because then we're doing it the wrong reason. Okay. Hopefully you have your heads bowed and eyes shut so you don't see that when I stand here and offer a prayer, my hands are up. You don't see that when I'm down on my knees, my hands are up. Why? Because the Lord convicted me of this passage. That if verse 12 is to be true, then verse 8 has to be true as well. I, I can't somehow say, well, no, i got to throw out the lifting hands because that's just too Pentecostal. Well, then we would have to go along with verse 12 and say, well, that's just too paternalistic. God's command is that we as men... When we pray publicly, we lift our hands. It's biblical. Turn with me back to the book of Psalms. We'll start at uh, Psalm 134. 134. Verses 1 and 2. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Or go to Psalm 141, just a few pages over. 141. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, Lord, take this simple thing of of me lifting my hands. May it be like the incense that's burning 
in the tabernacle upon the altar of incense. May it be like that of the priest who's, who's bringing that animal to the altar, the brazen altar. Lord, may, may this be to you an act of worship. See, we don't come to the Lord with fist. We come to the Lord with outstretched hands. The lifting of holy hands. Or you could go back to Psalm 28. Psalm 28 as well. These are just but a few examples. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Lift them up. An act of worship, an act of supplication. An act that says, Lord, I, I'm looking to you. While we do what? Lord, pray that the one mediator, Jesus Christ, might become known and fully known and fully acknowledged and fully glorified and fully praised by those men there in Ephesus who are leading the church away from you. Lord, I pray that they might come to know the fullness of the salvation that is found by grace in Christ alone. Men, pray. And pray with lifted hands. Pray as well, Paul says, with holy hands. What are holy hands? Well, in the Old Testament, the practice of the priest was before they, they went in, in to do the altar of incense, they washed their hands in the wash basin. That washing of their hands was a picture of a cleansing. It was a picture of the washing, not of hands externally, but of the soul. Lest you think I'm just making this up, go with me to the book of James quickly. Book of James, Hebrews, James chapter 4. Verse 8. James 4 verse 8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And He will exalt you. See, holy hands are washed hands. Holy hands are cleansed hands. Holy hands are those that have been cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's to do that which Paul did. Back in the first chapter, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of who that guy is the worst. 
Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That guy over there, he's the worst. No, to pray with holy hands is to acknowledge my full need, my full dependence upon God's grace. Because I am the worst of sinners. Not that guy over there. Me. But God in his mercy has shown me Christ. Lord, show him Christ. Pray. I command men everywhere. As you gather in worship, as you have the opportunity to pray and worship, lift up holy hands everywhere. Why does Paul say everywhere? Do you notice these, these all-inclusive terms of Paul? All, all, all. Now it's every, every, every. See, the old Jewish belief was that the only place of true prayer was the temple. And that if you weren't in the temple or at the temple grounds, you really weren't praying. Second and like unto it was this. If you couldn't be there, at least pray in the direction of Jerusalem. So you note Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, I think it is, when uh, he gets in trouble for praying. He's gone into his room. He's opened the windows towards Jerusalem. Paul says, no. You can pray anywhere. Why? Because God is over all mankind and he has has given to man the one mediator by which we might come to God. The temple is not the mediator. Jerusalem is not the mediator. Christ is the mediator. And so wherever the church gathers, wherever the people of God congregate, Wherever that is. Men, lift up holy hands and pray. Pray for the conversion of the souls of those who are standing opposed to Christ. The false teachers of this day. Pray. For them. And then Paul adds the clincher, doesn't he? I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I don't know what women fight about, but I know what men fight about. And I know how men fight. And I know how men argue. And I know how men quarrel. And and I know how quickly their fuses go off. And I know how quickly they demand that they are right. See, this is somewhat very gender specific. God knows men. He knows our hearts, men. And he knows... That we love a good quarrel. He knows we love a good fight. And he knows how we allow anger to seethe in our hearts and in our souls. 
And he knows that, that we would be tempted. Yeah, we'll go through all the motions. We'll lift up holy hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I hate that guy. Lord, convert him, even though I think he's horrible. I dislike him. I so hate him. Or we want to quarrel. We want to pick a fight. We want to get it going. In the com- one of the commentaries I have about this, he mentions, you see, there is a specific reason he mentions without anger or quarreling. Because that's the issue in the church at Ephesus. He actually mentions it twice in this book about the fact that there's, there's arguing and quarreling going on within the church. Paul knows men's hearts. So does the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though we're commanded to pray, we are commanded as well to offer those prayers without anger and without quarreling. The commentator writes, the sins of anger and argument have particular relevance for men. It is true that on occasion women disturb the peace of the church. One thinks of the infamous conflict in Philippians 4.2. But as a general rule, men are more likely to agitate the church, especially when it comes to doctrine. Men are typically like that. They're critical and competitive. They tend to argue first and to listen later. Wow. I read that and I'm going, okay, I got to go look in the mirror a minute. Yup. Because how true is that? You know, we might fight against it. We might, it's still just there. They tend to argue first and to listen later. They would rather be right than be reconciled. They get angry when they don't get their way. So the Bible reminds Christian men not to fight. Do you know why arguments within the church are so problematic because they stop this. God says, I'm not listening. I'm not listening to this prayer. I've seen the quarreling. I've seen the anger. I'm not listening. You come to me without anger. You come to me without bitterness. You come to me without quarreling. I'm open ears. But don't bring me those prayers. That's tough. But that's what's going on here. Men. Men. I desire then. That in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I don't think Paul is soft. 
I don't think Paul went woke. I don't think Paul's a liberal. I think Paul knows how to fight. I think Paul's been through many battles. And the Holy Spirit leads Paul to say, first of all, pray. Men, you first. Pray. And when you pray, lift up those holy hands. Everywhere. And what a glorious truth, my friends, that today, that today, upon this day, in every time zone, on every continent, men have lifted up holy hands in prayer. What an amazing thing to think of. In every place. And do it. Without anger. And do it without quarreling. Now likewise. Oh that's for a couple of weeks down the road. Let's pray. Father what a lesson you have given to us in your word tonight. A lesson for us as men. Oh, not that there isn't something to be gained for women when they pray. It's there. It certainly is. Certainly you're not saying, women, it's okay for you to pray with anger, bitterness and quarreling. No. But you know our hearts, Lord. You know the hearts of men. You know what we're like. And so your word comes as that double-edged sword. It pierces. It hits us. And so we hear your word tonight, Father, and we pray that we might not only hear it, but that we might receive it through the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Work in us, Father, a work that no man can do. But you can. Make us as men, the men of little farms. Men who pray. Men who pray with holy hands. Men who pray with uplifted hands. Men who pray without arguing and quarreling. Men who pray as warriors on the battlefield. For that is who you have called us and appointed us to be. May we do so, Father, in church. May we do so in our home. May we do so in society and in our communities. That we would be men of prayer. Not for our glory. Not for men's praise. But that we might be faithful to that which you have called us to be. As men, made in the image of God, your image. In Christ's glorious name we pray and God's people say, Amen. 518.
518. 